15, 5 through 7. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Well, indeed, I want to say Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there, and especially to those who are going to be first-time mothers. Welcome to the club. I also want to express gratitude to you as a congregation because a lot of you, well, you're, you're, you're confusing me today. A, a lot of you have given up your, your normal traditional seats and made your way into mid, the middle to help accommodate those who do wish to maintain some social distancing. And, and we thank you for that, your willingness to give up your seat, or at least your COVID seat. Um, but thank you for doing that and allowing this uh, spacing for those who, who still desire it. It's also exciting because though our, our youth group has been making their way down here some, They've been relegated to the upper room for several months, and, and they're getting to, to be in here now because we're accommodating the seats, and it's good to see those faces down here with us again as well. And so it's, it's a wonderful day on, on a lot of fronts, and it's also joyous for me to look out there and see some uh, adult children sitting with their parents when they went through a whole bunch of years where they tried to avoid them as much as possible. So that's a good thing to see as well. Today we are going to turn our attention back to our anothering series. We're going to uh, examine our next one another command, but I want to start with this story. There was a, there was a young Bible major who, who went off to college, and, and he had set his mind that he was going to do everything by the book. In other words, he was going to let the Bible direct everything about his life. He was going to find scripture and verse for every decision he made. Now, shortly after arriving on campus, he spotted a young little lady that he found very attractive. So he asked her out on a date. They went on the said date, and he brought her back to her dorm room. And, and or to, to, to the dorm, I shouldn't say her room. This is Christian college, of course. <laughs> he brought her back to the dorm, and they're standing outside, and he desperately wants to kiss her. But all he can think is, there's not a chapter and verse that gives me permission to do that. So he shyly sticks out his hand, shakes her hand, and says goodnight. He goes back to his, his dorm room, and he, uh, he sits down with his Bible that night. He's like, I'm going to see if I can find a verse that gives me permission to kiss that beautiful young lady. But he couldn't find one. He thought he found one when he came to Romans chapter 16 and verse 16, where it says, Greet one another with a holy kiss. He went and discussed it with one of his Bible professors, and his Bible professor informed him that that's not what that verse is talking about. It has nothing to do with dating, and therefore doesn't apply. He continued dating the girl for some time, and he kept ending the dates the same way, shaking her hand and saying goodnight. Until finally, one 
evening, when they return from their date, they're standing outside that dorm, and he starts to put out his hand, and all of a sudden she grabs him and just passionately kisses him. And as soon as she lets go, he starts shouting, chapter and verse, chapter and verse. And as she entered that dorm, she just looked over her shoulder and said, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Now, the moral of that story, if you're one of my daughters, the moral of that story is don't be like that girl. For the rest of you, the point of the story is this. There, there is at least one anothering command that we don't know what to do with. Five times in the New Testament, you'll come across this instruction to greet one another with a kiss. You'll see it in Romans chapter 16. You'll see it in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. You'll see it in uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 13, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and 1 Peter chapter 5. And, and there's variations to some of these versions of the command. But five times we're told to greet one another with a kiss. Do you realize that that, that command appears more often than the command to bear one another's burdens? This command appears more often than the command to forgive one another or serve one another or even to be at peace with one another. All of which are anothering commands that we've already looked at. And so the fact that this greet one another with a kiss command is present in Scripture means we need to pay attention to it at the very least. But we don't seem to know exactly how to apply it or put it into practice sometimes. So what do we do with this instruction? Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not advocating today that we resurrect this ancient greeting. But I am suggesting that there are lessons we can gain from looking at this obscure one another command. But to get to that point, we need to first talk about what a kiss symbolized in Scripture. Throughout the Bible, a kiss symbolized different things. It, it symbolized hospitality. In, in other words, it served as a greeting, as a warm welcome or a warm reception. You can go to Genesis chapter 27, and you have this passage where we have uh, Jacob going in to uh, meet his father Isaac to steal the blessing from Esau. And when Jacob enters the tent, Isaac's first request is for a kiss. It was a warm reception in that moment. You can go over to Exodus chapter 4, and you can read how when Aaron went to meet with his brother Moses out in Sinai, that they greeted one another with a kiss. There's even this statement made in Luke chapter 7 and verse 45 where there's a woman who came to anoint Jesus's feet and Jesus points out to the host in whose house he was dining that night that she received him correctly and the host did not he criticized his dinner host for not welcoming him with a kiss so a kiss in scripture could could indicate hospitality it can also indicate reconciliation for instance, in Genesis, I'm sorry, in uh, Genesis chapter 33 and verse 4, Jonathan, uh, Esau kissed Jacob when they were reunited after years of separation. 
You can also go into Genesis chapter 45 and verse 15 and read how Joseph kissed all of his brothers when he revealed himself to them. And then in the parable of the lost son, Luke chapter 15 and verse 20, when that son finally returned home, what did his father do? He ran to meet him and he kissed him, indicating that he was forgiving him, reconciling that relationship. So a kiss can indicate hospitality, it can indicate reconciliation, but it also can indicate affection. Jonathan and David greeted one another with a kiss when they met for the last time in 1 Samuel chapter 20 and verse 41. That sinful woman who anointed Jesus' feet, as I've already mentioned, she wasn't just washing the feet with her tears and she wasn't just drying it with her hair. She was kissing those feet, a show of her affection for Christ. And it's because a kiss could, assemble, could symbolize affection it's that reason that made Judas's betrayal of Jesus with a kiss all the more astonishing in Luke chapter 22. So the point is this, a holy kiss was a greeting between brothers and sisters in the church that communicated acceptance, that communicated unity, that even communicated intimacy. Therefore, when we are instructed to greet one another with a holy kiss, we're being instructed to make one another feel welcome. And that ties into a passage that Paul wrote in Romans 15 that we read just a moment ago. I encourage you to look at it with me again. Romans 15, the first seven verses or so. And what you'll see is that Paul gives several instructions in that, period, that section of Scripture. He gives several instructions to the church. He instructs the church to bear with the failings of the weak in the first verse. He instructs the church to please and build up their neighbors in verse 2. Down in verse 5, he instructs the church to live in harmony with one another. But the only way these anothering tasks that Paul mentions in Romans 15 could be accomplished is if each member felt welcomed. And so he concludes this section in verse 7 of Romans 15 with the instruction to receive one another or to accept one another or even to welcome one another, depending on what translation you're reading. And the point is this. The church should be a place where everybody feels welcome. So let me ask you a couple of questions this morning. When you came to this building today, how many people greeted you? For some of you, I'm sure that number was high. But unfortunately... For some of you, that number may not have been very high. It, in fact, may have been very low. But let me ask you a second question. When you came to the building today, how many people did you greet? Again, for some of you, that number was high, but for some of you, that number was low. I can readily admit today, I didn't greet very many people. And it was somewhat intentional but not excusable. The reason I didn't really greet very many people is because I didn't want them to see my head, which some of you have already seen. I was already ugly to begin with. This just made it worse. But on an on a every Sunday basis, how many people do you take the time to greet when you enter the building? 
members or visitors, it doesn't matter. How many people do you communicate with and intentionally try to make feel welcome? What I want us to realize is that some people feel welcome when they enter this assembly. But some people don't. And yes, it's true that some people go unwelcomed because they choose to avoid engaging other people. But it is also true that some people go unwelcomed because no one greets them. Even though the Bible is filled with instructions for us to greet one another and welcome one another. So what I want us to do today is look at a rather lengthy text in Romans chapter 16. It's one of those texts that it easily gets overlooked because you just don't think it has anything significant about it. But in fact, the, these words are included in Scripture by inspiration because within them there is insight into the importance and practice of greeting one another. And I must admit that I'm indebted to another preacher for the points that I'm about to raise from this text. But I want you to journey over there with me to Romans chapter 16. We're going to read the first 16 verses. And bear with me, because there's a lot of names. And I spared our scripture reader these names today. Romans chapter 16, verses 1 through 16. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sincrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prissa and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Verse 5. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Eponidas, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampelatus, my beloved in the Lord. Verse 9, greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Statius. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Verse 12, greet those workers. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphenia and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asuncritus, Phlegon, Hermas, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Verse 15, greet Philogus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. You see, throughout this passage, Paul sends greetings to several individuals. And from his practice of greeting, we can learn three important lessons about being better greeters. First, we need to understand that welcoming others means that people are personally addressed. Over the course of 16 verses, Paul mentions 27 people by name. He mentions these names because he knew them. And his ability to cite their names is an indication that they mattered to him. Now I have to admit, I'm really, really, really bad with names. 
I have to repeat someone's name several times, and usually I have to interact with them several times before I retain it. Some of you have experienced that about me. I know that I've called some of you by the wrong name, or I've had to ask you for your name after meeting you weeks, months, and even at least once years ago. I'm not making an excuse. I'm just horrible with remembering names. But I really do try, believe it or not, because I realize that the way we greet one another communicates worth. When you identify a person by name, you are telling that person that they matter enough to you for you to get to know them. You are telling them that you care about them. That's why it's so important that we get to know each other personally. And when we think about this whole idea of anothering, of fulfilling these one another commands, that's a huge part of it. Because the whole idea of anothering is that we're going to care enough about each other to get to know each other. That we're going to build intimate and accountable relationships with each other. And the way that begins is by getting to know one another. I came across a book about the Holocaust some years ago. It's called Witnesses, and it has candid interviews with Jewish prisoners who survived Nazi concentration camps. And one prisoner named Walter recounts his story, and this is what he wrote. He wrote, Right after arriving to the concentration camp, we were herded into a room where all of our civil clothes were taken off. We were shaved. We took a shower, and then I got my number tatted, which is 117022. This was supposed to be my name. I had no name anymore. This was it. Here's what I took away from that story. I took away the fact that there's value in a name. A person is devalued when they're just a number. And yet far too often in the church, that's how we treat one another. Like we're just another number. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying the church treats people the way the Nazis treated the Jews during the Holocaust. All I'm saying is that people are devalued when they're treated as a number rather than a name. And unfortunately, that can happen even in the family of God. And I want to apologize for times that I've done that, whether intentionally or unintentionally. But as anotherers, as followers of Christ, as those assigned to love one another, we believe that all Christians should be strangers in the world, but no Christian should be a stranger in the church. So we must believe that greeting is important because we know that people are important. So if you want to be a greater greeter, that means personally addressing people. And the only way you can do that is if you get to know one another. And that includes me, getting to know you. And you getting to know me. So welcoming others means that people are personally addressed. Turning back to Romans 16, we'll also discover that welcoming others means that differences are not stressed. You may not have noticed it, but there was a stunning diversity in the names of this list. 
For example, there's gender diversity. There's 10 of these names that are female names. And this list was compiled during a time when women were not usually listed. There was racial diversity in this list. There's both Jews and Gentiles being named. And this during a time when the original followers of God, the Jews, were struggling as they learned to accept people of a different nationality into the body. There's even socioeconomic diversity in this list, as evidenced by the fact that some of these people were wealthy enough to own homes in which the church could meet, while others were slaves and ex-prisoners. But what's important is that as Paul made this list and named these names, he did not emphasize their differences. He emphasized their similarity. He did this by repeatedly referencing what united them. Ten times in this passage, Paul makes reference to the fact that these people are in Christ or in the Lord. I'll share a few of them with you. If you look at verse 3 of Romans 16, he says, Greet Prissa and Aquila, my fellow workers, in Christ Jesus. In verse 7, he says, Greet Andronicus and Junia, and goes on to say that they were in Christ before me. In verse 8, he says, Greet Ampelatus, my beloved, in the Lord. In verse 10, he says, Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. And in verse 13, he says, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Ten times in this section, Paul is going to make reference to the individual's in Christ or in the Lord status. What's he doing? He's taking the focus off of their differences and placing it on their oneness in Christ. And the lesson for us, the lesson for us is that another is, don't get hung up on differences. Because we're focused on what unites us. I mean, think about it. God only made one you. When he finished creating you, he in effect said, that's enough of that. I don't need anyone else just like him or her. Now, I know what you're thinking. There are such things as fraternal twins. But even in the case of a fraternal twin, they're not exactly the same. They're going to develop different personalities over time. And they're going to have different interests and things like that. There's only one you. God said, I don't need any more of that person. That's enough. And not just to you, but to me and to every one of us. And what we need to take away from that fact is that we're striving to be just like Jesus. And for us to be just like Jesus does not require for anyone to become just like us. We're united around the identity of Christ. We're united around our effort to become like him. That doesn't require for you to become like me in the process, nor for me to become like you in the process. And so for us to be welcoming of one another, we need to focus on what unites us, the oneness that we find in Christ rather than those things that divide us and make us different. And one final thought. Welcoming others means 
that love is tangibly expressed. You know, many of our homes have a doormat or a wreath or a sign somewhere near the front entrance that welcomes our guests. Such items are decorative pieces. They don't actually create a sense of hospitality. That can only be accomplished through tangible expressions from the person inside the home. In fact, intimate relationships will express welcomeness through a hug, a handshake, or even a kiss, when COVID is not rampant at least. Such physical expressions, they're a tangible way to express worth and affection. And tangibly expressing hospitality, tangibly expressing welcomeness, tangibly expressing a warm reception is something we're commanded to do. I want you to look at what Paul said in Romans chapter 12 very quickly. Romans chapter 12 and verse 10. We'll be back in, verse, in chapter 16 in just a moment, but Romans chapter 12 and verse 10. Paul said, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. And that's exactly what Paul's going to do in chapter 16. He's going to tangibly express his love through, uh, through words of honor showered upon the people in Romans chapter 16. Jump back over there to Romans 16 real quick. And what's fascinating to me in this whole passage is that 17 times Paul verbally expresses his appreciation of people by using titles and descriptions for the work of these Christians. For example, he described Phoebe as a servant of the church and a helper of many in the first two verses. He referred to Aquila and Priscilla as his fellow workers who risked their lives for him in verses 3 through 4. In verse 5, he identified Eponidas as the first convert in Asia. In verse 6, he described Mary as one who has worked hard. And in verse 7, he referred to Andronicus and Junia as kinsmen and fellow prisoners who were well known to the apostles. On and on throughout this chapter, he identifies people. He gives praise to them and honors them and expresses his appreciation of them using titles and descriptions. He's tangibly letting them know what he loves about them. He doesn't just call them by their names. He praises them for their contributions to the kingdom of God. And though Paul is not remembered as the church's greatest encourager, that title goes to Barnabas, we still have to admit that Paul never missed an opportunity to build somebody up with his words. Because he understood that a great greeting requires a tangible expression. So in a sense, Paul is verbally kissing these people by communicating his affection for them through words of praise. When was the last time you praised somebody? When was the last time you just told somebody how much you appreciated what they've done? When was the last time he said, thank you. When was the last time you utilized your words to tangibly express to someone how much they mean to you? Because that's what Paul's doing here as he goes through this list of people. See, there's an expectation in Scripture that you and I, as members of the body of Christ, are going to make the body, a place where people feel welcomed. 
You know, every church I've ever been to has had a greeter ministry. But not every church I've ever been to has been welcoming. And I've got a feeling you've experienced the same thing in life. Greeting isn't just about having people stationed at the church's entrance to say hi as people enter the building. Greeting is about creating an atmosphere of hospitality, about making people feel valued, about highlighting our unity in Christ, about demonstrating our love for one another. So is the church doing that? Are we doing that? You may remember a popular TV show that ran from 1982 to 1993 called Cheers. It was a show about the lives of employees and patrons of a bar in Boston. And I know what you're thinking. Why is he using a story about a bar in Boston? That's because quite possibly the most famous aspect of that show was its theme song. And I bet there are several of you who are already singing it in your head once I mention the show. And in just a moment, Ben Collins is going to lead us in that song. I'm just kidding. That would be hilarious, though, wouldn't it? But these are the lyrics. These are the lines. Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. I know you just want to break out in song right now. And they're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see our troubles are all the same. You want to be where everybody knows your name. And the sad reality is that people often go to places like bars because those are the only places where they feel welcome, accepted, and received. Meanwhile, the expectation of the church according to Scripture is that it should be the place where that theme song actually does ring true. The one place where people should be able to go to leave their worries, to find people who understand, to feel like they belong, and to be known by name is the church. But all too often, we close ourselves off to people who don't look like us, or we critique the outsider in judgmental ways, or we simply never extend a welcome because we're satisfied with status quo. We're good with our click. And so for the, the challenge for us today, as we consider this passage about greeting one another with a holy kiss, our challenge is to ask God to give us increased insight in how we can intentionally communicate worth to other people. And maybe if we honor one another as we're supposed to, if we'll welcome one another as we're supposed to, if we greet one another as we're supposed to, then maybe, just maybe, we'll prevent someone's disappearance from the body tomorrow. Greet one another with a holy kiss. We can laugh at that instruction. We can employ humor around that command. We can just say it's a cultural practice that no longer has application today but we can't ignore the fact that Scripture abounds with instructions for us to receive, accept, welcome one another. 
when we consider these one another commands, is this one that comes to mind? Is this one that matters in our lives? Is this one that we place a priority on? And if not, why not? Because it can make a huge difference in the body of Christ if we'll become greater greeters. If we'll welcome people the way Scripture calls us to welcome people. And right now, as we draw this lesson to a close, we want to extend a welcoming hand. We want to invite anyone who's not a member of the body of Christ to become a member of the body of Christ. And right now, today, you can make that decision. You can be welcomed into the family of God if you'll confess your belief that Jesus Christ is the risen Son of God, if you'll be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins after you repent of those sins. That invitation is always available. And you are always welcome to join our family. But there may be some of you out there who've made that decision and you've never really felt welcome. I'm sorry for that. And I know that collectively we want to correct that. If you realize today that you have not been a member of the body who welcomes others and you want to change that about yourself and you want to repent of that today, well, the invitation is available for that as well. We're gathered here as a body because we do, in fact, love one another. And we love the Lord. And if you need to respond to this invitation today in any way, shape, or form, then we'll welcome you up here while together we stand and sing this song.